The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 9. Just curious how many of you knew there was an earthquake today. You felt it. You knew it. All right. If you'd have been in here, we weren't. We were outside the majority. But the people in here, it shook the balcony and the lights in the room. So if that happens, just letting you know, you will know if you're in this room that we're experiencing uh, one. For those of you who didn't, it hit in Sparta, North Carolina, over a 5.2 or something earthquake. It was a 2.6 here. Uh, that's why we knew that that was going on. We were singing at the moment it happened, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So <laughs> praise God. That was a, was a good thing. Second Corinthians chapter 7, nine, 2 through 9. I invite you to stand as we read the word of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort by which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, that only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that as we take up your holy word and the subject of comfort, we acknowledge that you are the God of all comfort. Now through this message, will you comfort us and will you teach us to understand who we are, that we might be the means of comfort to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. In verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast. Paul is acknowledging something here. So let's just put it on the table from the beginning of the sermon. Everyone gets discouraged. Everyone gets disheartened. Everyone have moments or seasons of life that they're downcast. Even the great apostle Paul. Because when he writes that, he writes that surrounded by talking about himself. So what Paul is saying is, I was downcast and God comforted me. What he's acknowledging is that gospel ministry I don't just mean those like me who earn their living and their life and livelihood is tied up in the work. Whether you volunteer or you're paid to serve the church, gospel ministry comes with seasons of discouragement and even depression. 
The question is, how do you continue on? The answer, the Lord provides. And he provides through his people. You, my friends, are a congregation of faithful brothers and sisters. This week I was being interviewed uh, for a person who was working on a, a doctoral project and I was being asked questions about my longevity and the length of time that I have served this congregation, 28 years. I'm only the third pastor in 57 years that the church has had. And I said, they were asking questions about me. I said, you're getting, (laughs) this is about the church. No pastor stays in a place like that except for the people. It's not just perseverance. It's, it's, It's the people. So I want to say from the onset that I have received much comfort from you. And that through the years. And my prayer with you for you today is that you will reflect with me as to how you have been comforted and how you might comfort others. Here's my main idea. Godly comfort comes from God through the body of Christ, resulting in rejoicing. So let me define what we mean by the word comfort. It means to lift another's spirits, to bring consolation, would have to do with grief, that someone's in a moment of grief that you would bring consolation. Or it can simply be translated or mean encouragement. Getting to that idea of lifting someone's spirit. So so you don't have to be in grief to be comforted. You can just simply need to be lifted. So here's what we want to see, that godly comfort... So I'm describing the act of comforting. Godly comfort comes from God through the body of Christ. So let's take a few minutes and let's nail down the need for comfort or encouragement that you see just in this text. In verse 2, Paul says, Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So what Paul's doing is picking up what he said just a few verses earlier. So go back to chapter 6 and verse 11. We've spoken freely, you Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. So he repeats this, verse 2, make room in your hearts. Now what Paul is going to address is the entire congregation of Corinth in his writing here. But in addressing the whole congregation, he's really addressing two groups of people. The first group of people are those who have closed off their heart to Paul. Those whom he's appealing to, to say, open your heart to us. So there are three wrong conclusions that people have come to as it relates to Paul. Some of them think Paul's wronged them. Paul says, we haven't wronged anyone. Some of them think Paul has corrupted them by bringing some kind of teaching they didn't need because these false teachers are claiming his teaching is false. Paul says, we've corrupted no one. And then there are people saying that Paul was 
taking advantage of them. That we have taken advantage of no one, he says. We've not exploited anyone. That's why Paul says to the Corinthian church, I received nothing from you. I didn't want any money from you. So this first group has decided that there's some kind of difficulty between them. Paul wants them to know that he loves the congregation of Corinth. Now, if you keep reading here with verse 3, I do not say this to continue, for I said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. Now, it, it appears he's speaking to another group, and I would say the majority of the congregation, who share a great affection with Paul. However, they are in danger of being influenced by some of the negative talkers. Now, I've been around the block long enough to know this is always going on. All right, there's always a group of people that don't necessarily like you in the church. That's not just true of the pastor. That can be true of you. It just happens. I'm not saying it's okay. Gossip is sin. Slander is sin. It should never happen, but it happens. And people come up to me and say, everybody Parkwood's about to leave. Who's everybody? Define everybody. What do you, what do you mean everybody? What they mean is everybody I'm talking to. And they convince themselves of something that's not true. When the vast majority here of the congregation have a great affection for Paul, and Paul is saying, don't be influenced by this negative false talk that's going on. He says, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. What Paul is saying here is there is an immeasurable love through our union with Christ because we are in Christ together we die together, that is, we give ourselves for the gospel together, and we live together. That's not just in the here and now. That is what is promised, that we're going to live eternally together in Christ. Verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting within and fear, fighting without and fear within. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16 and piece together what Paul's talking about historically here. In Acts 16, we know as Paul was on a missionary journey, he was passing by Mysia, going down to Troas. And there a vision appeared to him in the night that a man of Macedonia was standing there, this is verse 9, urging and saying him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. Now, that doesn't mean he went from Gastonia to Charlotte. It means he went from, from Gastonia to Washington, D.C. without any form of modern transportation, with great effort. And when he gets there, we know some other things transpire. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 now, and I'm not going to bore you with a lot of detail, <laughs> But Paul, in writing his letter, gets to chapter 2, verse 12, and says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me, my, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my ti brother Titus there, so I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now, he picks this back up in chapter 7 and says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted every turn, fighting without and fear within. So what in the world was he talking about in the middle? This beautiful, long theological excursus of the gospel and why he would deviate. 
Now he comes back to explaining why he had no rest. There was external difficulty, fighting without. Wherever Paul went with the gospel, he ran headlong into people who didn't want it and didn't want him, and they persecuted him. And then he says there was fear within. Now he's being very specific here. I think it's a twofold fear. The first fear is what happened to Titus? It so bothers him that he leaves Troas to make it to Macedonia in the fall of the year because he knew winter was coming. It was very possible that Titus would have been on a ship from Macedonia to Troas in the process and they'd have missed each other. But by God's grace, they meet up together in Macedonia. Paul was concerned about this brother, this young man in the Lord, whom God had sent out from his team for the sake of ministry. The second thing that he was afraid of is what's happening in Corinth. This letter that he sent with Titus, did they receive it? Did they receive it and and repent, or did they react in anger and descend deeper into sin? As a result of this, this fear, this fighting without and fear within, it brings the great apostle to say, God comforts the downcast, or in other words, this led to Paul's heart being downcast, that he was in need of comfort and encouragement. So here's the question then. Where does it come from? Where does comfort come from? He says it very simply here. But God who comforts the downcast. God alone is the source of comfort. Now watch how he ties this letter together so beautifully. Go back to chapter 1. This is how he started Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So it is God, the God of all comfort, who comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So I preached a message on this you could go back and listen to, but it doesn't mean I have to go through a particular affliction to be, and I can only help and comfort those who went through that affliction. Paul says when you are comforted in affliction, you can help someone in any affliction. It's how God works. Now listen very carefully what I'm going to say next. Among Christians, there are no absolute givers and no absolute receivers. God alone is the absolute giver. Here's why. God has no need of anything. He's God. I have to remind myself, I have to remind people who give themselves to gospel work, not just pastors, growth group leaders, people serving others. You cannot always give. You're not God you have to also receive. Now, in a consumer society, I have to say the opposite. You cannot always receive. You must also give. In fact, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But that doesn't mean receiving is bad. We need to receive. The question then is, how do we receive? What are the means that God uses to distribute his comfort? The answer is he brings it through people. The means of comfort first we see are individuals. 
that Paul was comforted by the coming of Titus. So when he finally sees this brother whom he has longed to see, he, he embraces him with great joy. He is comforted by this man. When I was a young person uh, in my later years of high school, the youth group I was in went on a youth trip and a girl got hurt. I don't remember exactly what happened to her, but I just remember she was hurt bad enough she couldn't participate the rest of the week. We brought her home and we actually stopped at her house and took her in. And I was one of the people that helped carry in. I think she hurt her knee or something. And we carried her in. And this girl had shown absolutely no emotion all week. And as soon as she saw her mother, she broke into tears. Why? Because she was hurting? No. It was the comfort of seeing her mama. <laughs> we don't have a description here, but I can see it in my mind when Paul finally sees Titus. That he's so concerned that he gets on a ship and sails to try to find this brother, and he sees him and he's comforted. He's just comforted by the presence. I'm reminded Philemon. Paul writing to Philemon, he says in verse 7 For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Whew. I think in all the years of my life, of the Philemons, the individuals, the people that God has used to bring comfort to my own heart. To the individuals, and there's also the congregation. Look in verse 7. Not only by his coming, that's Titus, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So Titus, when he gets to Corinth, they were scared to death. They're going to throw him out. No, they received him and, and they bring comfort to, to, to Titus, and who was also, I'm sure, experiencing fighting without and fears within. And the congregation at Corinth bless him. And then they offer news and things to Titus, which in turn comforts Paul. It says, as he told us, of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. So for Paul to find out, it's not that the Corinthians as a congregation hated Paul, they loved him. They, they longed to see him. They mourned over him. We don't know exactly what that means, but they're mourning over him. They had great zeal. They wanted to be a help, and this caused Paul to rejoice. But there's one more reason that he's comforted. Read verse 8 with me. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. So let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just take a little miniature excursus here. Uh, over the years, I've had to preach sermons where I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. How's this going to go? And I come to the end of it, and I've said something that which, which many of you over the years have construed as me apologizing. What I, what I was saying is what Paul said here. I don't regret preaching that, but I regret it. Now, what I'm saying is, what, here's what Paul's saying. It's not that you didn't want to preach it. It's not that you're afraid to preach it. If you're afraid to preach it, you wouldn't preach it, right? You wouldn't write it. So you tee it up, and you preach it. You, you say it. But here's, what you, here's the regret. How's this going to be received? I don't worry about you firing me and running me off for preaching the Bible. God will take care of me. That's never scared me. 
What am I afraid of? What am I? I'm concerned over your soul. Are you going to receive what God says? Several years ago, some of you going to remember this. Uh, I was preaching through Proverbs, a series on wisdom, wisdom and, and I would take Proverbs what it said about a subject, and I was coming up on a sermon, wisdom and alcohol. Proverbs says a lot about that. On Saturday night, I went to bed before it was over, and I admit I was a little amped up about it. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and my right side of my chest is locked down. It is the most intense pain I had ever experienced in my life. So I got up. I walked around. I took a a cold shower to try to get over it. By this time, I'd roused Celeste. She said, what's wrong? I said, honey, I don't know, but I got this intense pain in my chest, and I guess she's going to take me to the hospital. Now, I learned something. If you get to the ER, all you got to say is chest pain. You're going to the back, okay? If, if you obviously look like you don't feel good, my blood pressure is always high anyway. I go to the back. They hook me up. They're poking me. My blood pressure is outrageous. I, my oxygen level was low, all this stuff. So they're, they're working on me, poking and prodding me, going up. The nurse is in there, and they bring a social worker in to, you know, to get my information. And she's asking me questions. What's your name? Whatever. Where, where do you work? I work at Parkway Baptist. She said, what do you do there? I said, I'm the pastor. And the nurse on my other side says, boy, you must have a humdinger today. I said, ma'am, you have no idea. <laughs> the sermon, I spent the rest of the day in the hospital. By the way, I had pneumonia. I had no idea. I had no symptom whatsoever. That was what was wrong with me. But that sermon was put off until the next week. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened at 8 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, a husband and wife came up to me, and here's what they told me. He said, I'm an alcoholic, and our marriage was in shambles. And that Sunday, I showed up for the first time, and I heard you preach on the wisdom of alcohol. And God used it not only to change me, but to say, I need to be in a church that has this kind of conviction. He went home and told his wife, and she said it's the first time he'd ever spoken spiritually in their marriage. And they ended up coming into this church, and now God uses them in some pretty profound ways. God sent me to the hospital for that. I didn't know that. The comfort I received standing right out there just a few minutes ago to hear that story. Brothers and sisters, that's how God works. God works in us and through us. And when he does, here's what it results in. Rejoicing. How could I not stand there and rejoice? Godly comfort comes from God through the body of Christ, resulting in rejoicing. Verse 4, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. That means Paul's speaking boldly, freely of his fond, abundant affection, his godly pride in the Corinthians. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. Now notice how these two things are distinct, affliction and joy. And in our minds, they're polar opposites. We, we set them opposed to each other. Yet I don't know how many times I've been in hospital rooms or in families' homes in moments of great crisis and great difficulty, and they're gathered with other believers, and people say something like this to me. How do people do a moment like this in their life without the Lord? 
And how do they do it without God's people? To which my answer is always the same. They don't. They don't. This is something unique God's people have, that in the midst of our affliction, there's this overflowing joy because it is God who is comforting us and that through each other. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. We're back to this letter he wrote. He said, I don't rejoice that you grieved over the letter, but I'm, I'm rejoicing that you were grieved and repenting, a godly grief, so that you suffered no, no loss. Next week, we're going to look more in depth at that. We're just going to slow down and think about what is godly grief? What does that look like? In Philippians 4, if you turn there with me, verse 10, Paul writes, to the Philippian believers. And he says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, it means they went to great measure. Now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And in this, he rejoices. And I read that he says that you had no opportunity. Now, we can be really negative. And in fact, last week I was a little bit negative about the use of technology. And I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I, I, I'm reading this. I'm thinking about this text today and say, I don't have any excuses now. In a, in a day of technology, I can't say I don't have an opportunity to encourage someone. The moment you come to my mind, I can stop what I'm doing and through the means of technology, reach out and touch you within seconds. How many of you remember Nick Majors? Anybody remember Nick? Nick's a really blunt, straightforward dude. He was one of our people that came through ministry development. He's in his last year of his PhD uh, at Midwestern Seminary. Nick still touches me all the time. Friday morning, this was the text. It's always Nick, one or two sentences, and this is what it said. How are you doing emotionally through all this? How can I pray for you? Here's my answer. Much better, but I've had some very depressing periods. Let me just be the first to say it this morning. I'm not fine. And neither are you. If you, in the midst of all of this COVID mess and financial distress and political upheaval that's going on, and, and you can look at me with a straight face and say, I'm fine. You're lying. I don't believe you. You may feel better today than you did yesterday, but none of us are fine. We are all struggling on some level. This is deep water that the whole world is experiencing together, and some of it is imposed and some of it is self-imposed. Some of it's out of our control and some of it we're controlling and doing it to ourselves. And I don't have enough sense to know the difference. 
So I'm not going to rail about it. All I'm going to say is we're not fine. So here's my question. Are we both experiencing and evidencing the God of all comfort and our comfort of one another? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So let me set two things that are opposition to each other, consumer Christianity and comfort Christianity. First, let me define myself. Consumer Christianity says, what can you do for me? Or let's be specific, what can this church do for me? Now, I've not been facetious with this, what I'm going to say next. I've tried to be loving and tried to be pastoral. But this has been said to us now many, many times. No one from Parkwoods reached out to me during COVID. To which my question is, next, who have you reached out to? I don't mean that mean. But consumer Christianity sits at home and broods over the fact that nobody has reached out. And let me just say this. I'm saying this with love and compassion. For those of you that are at home and we have not laid our eyes on you since March, I'm, I'm, I'm being very honest here. It's no excuse, but it's hard to remember you. We need you to reach out toward us as we try to reach out toward you through multiple means. And I physically can't reach out to all of you. It's not possible just can't happen. But here's what you can do. Instead of living consumer Christianity, you can live comfort Christianity. I'm not talking about comfortable Christianity. Com comfortable Christianity and consumer Christianity are the same thing. Comfort Christianity says, who around me can I comfort? Who around me can I encourage? Now listen, I did not ask who needs encouragement. I think that's a cop-out. The cop-out is to say, well, I really don't know who needs it. Listen, I just defined it. How many of us need it? All of us. So who around me, who do I know, who is it that I haven't seen in a long time that I can comfort and encourage? And when I comfort others with the comfort that the Lord gives me, here's what I found. I again am comforted. So, who should you reach out to? Or let me ask you this. Who will you reach out to? Here's a deadly game this sermon could set up. This is where I regret preaching. This is my fear. That you're going to hear this sermon. Those of you listening at home, those of you going to go home, and you're going to wait. And we'll just see who calls me. We'll just see. At Parkwood, I've had it. We'll just see. God just might let you play that game. He might. But here's what God's told me to do. To give comfort. He never told me to get mad because I wasn't getting it. He told me to give it. So who am I going to give it to? This is what I've tried to practice since the middle of April. When somebody comes to my mind, I just stop and text them. 
thought about you, praying for you. Doing okay? And so many of you have written me, emailed me, and every one of those have brought comfort to my soul. I repeat it again. I'm not fine. It doesn't mean I'm in the fetal position and ready to give up. I'm with you, brothers and sisters. We all need encouragement. Now, one final challenge. At Growth Group, you're going to take this text up. Now, here's what you could do. You could come up with 15 ways to apply this text. Or you know what you could do when you get together in your growth group? You could apply it. You could share with each other and pray for each other. And I guarantee you, if you'll lower down the guard and let people share and give yourselves to prayer, when that growth group meeting's over, you will all leave encouraged. One last warning. If you dominate it, nobody's leaving encouraged. That's a receiver, not a giver. Given and taken, brothers and sisters. Give and take with each other. It is more blessed to give than receive, but there have to be givers and there have to be receivers, and we all desperately need it right now. Let's pray. Lord, right now in my mind and heart are people who are not in their normal seats at this hour. Some are home and some are somewhere else. And I pray for them right now that they be encouraged, they be comforted. I pray for those that have gathered here today. And Lord, I trust there are men and women in this room right now who are on their last leg. They're like Frank who wandered in here several years ago and you spoke to him. So, Lord, will you speak to those in desperate need today? And, Lord, for all of us, we trust you'll meet our need according to your riches and glory. We trust, O God, that you will bless and keep us. We trust that you will make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. We trust that you will lift up your countenance and give us peace. And, Lord, we know that you're going to use us in one another's lives. So lead us to do it even right now, in the next few minutes, this afternoon. Work through your people. Do what you have done now for centuries, for decades in the life of this church. Do it again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.